Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard, Leadership Mindset and Development for the Kingdom Man. If you are an ambitious Christian man, if you are a man who is about high performance in all areas of life, you're not going to want to miss this episode. I'm joined by my good friend, Coach Joseph Wilson. Joseph is a coach, a business coach, a purpose coach, a leadership development coach, and he's also the author of the book, Overflow. You're not going to want to miss this episode because we talk about and we break the myths and the lies around what it truly means to be a high-performance man. Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Ambitious Christian Man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. I have a special episode lined up for you today. I'm here with my very good friend, Joseph Wilson. If you guys have been tracking with the show, you'll know that on episode 57, I actually aired a past episode of when I visited Joseph's podcast, and that was all about how Christianity has been feminized. So if you've been listening to the show, you probably already have been exposed to Joseph and the work he does, but I'm excited because this is the first time he's on this show right now. Joseph, my brother from New Zealand, welcome to Raising the Standard. It's good to see you, man. Josh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Super pumped for this conversation. Yeah, man. I, I'm excited. You know, we have developed a really good friendship, which we talk a lot about on this show, that guys need friends, right? Guys need brothers in the battle. Guys need trusted advisors and just people they can do life with. And even though I think it's a 17-hour time difference, like forward a day um, in New Zealand right now. We still stay in touch through the beauty of apps and the virtual environment. You know, we talk a few times a week, so you and I are pretty close, and we share life together. And I just want to let the listeners know that because this is a guy that I fully trust, and we give each other advice and counsel, and we really are doing life together. And we have so many good conversations. I wanted to bring that in here. Because Joseph, you're carrying something for your country, you're carrying something for men, you're carrying something for the people that you serve that I want to share with my audience. So let's jump right in if you don't mind, because you're like me, man. This show is for ambitious Christian business guys. These are guys that are listening that want to expand the kingdom of God in their lives. The thing is, when it comes to doing that, we don't have tons of practical teaching. It's not a topic that's widely spoken about, especially for guys, whether they're in corporate, white collar, blue collar, building their own business, working on a side hustle, launching their entrepreneurial project. What's it really look like to, to move with God? Because we all want his purpose. And I know you're a big purpose guy. We're going to talk about that too. Um, but if you could share from your perspective, maybe even just give me a framework or a definition of what it looks like in your life to operate your business with God and how that plays out for you. And let's just jump off from here. Man, so in Acts chapter 17, it, it, Paul talks about um, in him, we live, move and have our being. And to me, that is it. You know, every element of my life since Jesus came into the picture, every element has been through him, in him, by him, for him. And it's just made life so much easier. 
I think as believers, we have a supreme advantage that we are seated in him, with him, covered by him. And so this life is a different journey for us than someone who doesn't have him. You know, In 2008, when I had a radical encounter with God and he showed me he was real, right? Not just religion, but he was real. I had this journey of God saying, I love you. I love you. Will you let me love you? And that was a new concept to me because I had only known religion. I had only known work for it, earn it. And God's kind of there on Sunday and on Wednesday. But the rest of the week, you're on your own. and You try and be a good boy, you know. So here's God going, no, I love you. I love you. And it was a challenge for me to just receive his love and let that become the genesis of my journey. So when, when we talk about business or even marriage or parenting or brotherhood, it all the nucleus is always in him, in him. And that's why it's easy. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say easy, simple. Let me say simple. Not always easy, but definitely much simpler. Uh, that's really powerful. So I want to go to the first statement you made, because when you quote that scripture in Acts, you're allowing God into every area of your life. That's really what Paul's talking about. And that's the way you're relaying the way you encountered God and how it's just natural. If you can accept that, that he comes into your business, comes into your family, comes into all these areas. But what I find and what I have observed in my own life, I observed it in the lives of other men. Um, I write about this in the standard and I just think it's a tendency within men that we like boxes. And I find that we're really good at setting up compartments and compartmentalizing our life. So it's like, hey, I have my home life. I have my family life. I have my work life. And that's typically how a man works. I've actually spoken about this in the last two episodes when we were talking about how men fall into temptation and how successful Christian men fail and they fall, it's because sometimes they're in a different box and they don't necessarily, they can work separately and they can be isolated. So that's, that's something to overcome. Elaborate on that a little bit because that's a challenge for men. And how do you break those boxes? How do you let God into those different areas of your life, especially if you've been wired from a young age, like, hey, I go to school and this is what I do. I play sports. This is what I do. I go to work. This is what I do. I come home. This is who I have to be. Yeah. So I think that this box premise really tries to make life linear and life is not linear in any area, in any aspect ever, you know? And so in the age of algorithms and formulas and 12 steps to something and prescription, in this age of great prescription, this knowledge-based economy, we try to make ourselves something we're not. You know, I'm not just a body. I, I have a spirit. I have a soul. I have a heart. I am a multidimensional being. And so it's very hard to box what you can't box, you know? So I feel like the problem is we start getting people to perform at a very young age when we teach them different boxes, like show up like this at church, like this at youth group, like this at your sports team, like this at home. And we start to box to make it easier. We think we're making it easier, but actually we're just throwing more balls in here to juggle. Instead, if I was to drop those balls and start to operate from who I am and not focus on what I do, life becomes really easy because who I am never changes. And I'm able to flow and move into whatever door, uh, like a husband or a father or a businessman or an athlete, whatever it is, I'm able to flow because the foundation is who I am, not what I do. I think that when we add boxes, and maybe they have a good place as long as you know who you are. When we add boxes and people don't know who they are, 
it becomes really, really hard to juggle every element. So when I say in him, we move, we live, we have our being, that's my identity. It's in him. And everything that I do flows out of that place. So it becomes easy. There is a flow. There is an ease. There's a simplicity. And now I'm not performing to be. I am performing because I already am. And that pressure, when that fell off me, it's been 14 years now, has been the greatest thing as I've watched friends come into marriage and fatherhood and brotherhood and get bogged down. That that one little thing of no pressure on me, I'm in him, he carries my burden, he carries my pressure, and I get to flow out of that has just made life so different. And uh, so that would that's what I would say about the box conversation is that a lot of people in the aim of simplifying have complicated what never needed to be so hard. Yeah. Wow. Joseph, you said, you said a lot there. Um, and it was really powerful because I want to start with where you started and you described this linear thought process, you know, and really what you're explaining is it's to me, it's a Hebrew mindset versus a Greek mindset. And if the listeners aren't used to this language, let me just explain this principle to you because the Socratic thought the linear thinking, the way we think in outlines, the way we've been trained, at least in the United States and probably most of the civilized world at this point, is very linear. It's very formulaic and A plus B always equals C. That's the way it works. That's the way we think. And God doesn't think that way. And we're reading, I say this often, but we're reading an Eastern book with a Western mind. And God and the whole concept of the Hebrew mindset is quite different from learning, from understanding compared to the way that we actually learn and understand. So we have some blocks within us because what you're explaining is like a whole person, holistic, circular reasoning. I can just be versus going through the formula. And so that's a little bit of a disconnect for us, depending on our upbringing and where we come in from. Yeah, I, I think that this is the battle of a Christian man, a believer, that will he allow God that space in his life to be the beginning and the end, to be a coverer, you know, to be Abba? Will he allow God in that space where the man now doesn't have to carry stuff that he wasn't designed to carry? And so I love what you're saying. And this Hebrew conversation, I think is very, very important. So you went into this performance thing. This is huge because Listen, I, I was tasked and I am tasked with with being a high performer. You know, that's what I do at my job. We even use that language. Um, when I was leading teams, I'm building high performance teams. That's the pinnacle in the world, whether it's sports, business, you know, athletics, um, whatever your environment is like, we all strive for high performance. You know, you like me, you're into fitness. We want to optimize everything. So we do have this performance mentality and it's ingrained in our nature too. Because when we meet men, when we meet other guys, you know, if we're playing sports and the way we relate to each other, shoulder to shoulder, like we want to do an activity together, I want to outperform you, right? And like, that's the way we're raising our, our kids. Like, hey, we want to win. Yeah, we have fun and we learn the game. But at a certain age level, it is about, it starts to get competitive. So tell me more about performance because this is something that's ingrained in us. So this is really critical. And I want to hear your perspective more as you kind of take it a level deeper with performance to, to work for something versus performance because I am something. Can you just explain that a little bit more in this identity piece? Yeah. So throughout our childhood, like you say, we get trained to become performers. But unfortunately, with that comes this 
earn your right so that you deserve it. And now our performance is no longer an expression, which is what it was always supposed to be. My performance was supposed to be an expression of who I am, but now it's become my attempt to try and gain or become something. So when I'm in school, my grades, now my performance is deciding how my teacher treats me, how my school students relate to me, where in the class I might get to sit, who talks about me. And I'm learning very subtly that, oh, my performance is going to determine everything. And so now instead of allowing performance to become a byproduct of my life, I make it the be all and end all. So to me, healthy performance is an expression of healthy processes, of healthy uh, processing in your own life. It's just your performance is a byproduct. But when performance and the outcome and the goal becomes the focus, you could have very unhealthy processes that still get you the outcome, but it's at your price. You are going to pay a price. Usually, you will pay a price you don't want to pay. And so it, we, I think with God, what happens is that he validates you as a person to such a level that now because you start to know who you are and you can express that, the performance is a byproduct. And whether it's right up there in comparison to other people or average or even below average, because you don't get your value from that, you're able to engage the process with more fun and ease where then the performance starts to increase on its own. So I think fundamentally the problem is when you are trying to perform to earn, deserve, and become instead of performing because you are. And we're seeing that now as people talk about crash dieting, right? That's a good example in that performance is for the goal. And what's the goal? I want to lose 20 pounds in six weeks. And we're so goal focused that the processes can be so stupid and unhealthy. And now you're starving and you're eating celery sticks. And you know, three months from now, you can't do that. But you do whatever it takes for that goal. And now you're damaging your mind, your psychology, you're damaging your physiology, all in the attempt for the goal and you get the goal and you put the post up and you might get a prize, but you've actually ended up worse off because you didn't perform from who you were. You performed to try and become. And I think that that's a pattern we see over and over again. And so fast forward to our age and now you've got business people doing whatever it takes, working crazy hours, ignoring their family, not spending time with their kids, don't care about their body, all in the aim of this quarterly goal and they get the goal, and their boss shakes their hand, and they get a plaque at the office, and they come home, it's broken. The process is broken, and their body is broken, their mind is broken, and they think that the goal is going to make them happy, and now they got there, and there is no happiness, because we were never built to perform to become. We were built to perform because of who we are as an expression. I love it, man. You know, do you know what I love about this the most and what fires me up is that there's people that listen to Christians and they look at Christian men and there's even Christian men that kind of shun Christianity and church because they've been told that there is no high performance. I just come and I just be, and it's a safe place and just be a nice guy. And you don't really go for, let's not push too hard. Let's just be Christians and stay in our little box. And that's not what you're saying. So you're acknowledging like, I'm built for greatness. Like I should be striving for excellence in everything I do. The difference is, and this is what I'm hearing you say, is the origin, the starting place. I'm not starting with performance. I'm starting out of a rock solid identity. And because I know who I am, I now go and execute those goals and I can raise the level and I can be a high performance man, but I'm not doing to earn validation 
to earn love or to prove who I am. I'm doing it because it's who I am. Is that right? Yeah. And so there is an ease. And so there is no pressure and burden to carry because when you are performance driven the world's way, you're outcome driven, you are goal driven. And so when that doesn't happen, there is a consequence because that's what we've been taught. But when you are performance driven as an expression of the design that God has given you, the outcome is great, but it's not as important as the process. And so we hear people say quotes like, I'm not losing, I'm learning. And that's very true. But that's because we were designed to be like that. Everything that we did as mankind the first time, we failed at. When you were a baby, you failed at everything. You failed at talking. You failed at drinking milk properly. You failed at eating. You failed at moving your body properly. You couldn't stand. You had to learn everything through, quote unquote, failure. You know, So that's a different type of performance. No parent made their child sit down because they stumbled the first time. No parents stopped giving their kid food because they put it in the wrong hole the first time, right? It's, it, it was a different kind of performance. That was a very expression-based performance. But as we get older and we come into society, the expression-based performance now changes to prove your worth performance, you know? So I'm not against that word performance. I have a lot of friends that are against that because they think all performance is bad. But when I read the Bible, it says that Jesus performed miracles. Right? He performed. There was performance in his life. It was just such a healthy performance that it never validated him. It never. It was not something that he used as a benchmark for other people. His benchmark was always, I only do what I see my father doing. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I know who I am in God. That was his benchmark, you know? Yeah, and let's let's go a little farther with performance and why this is a good word and why men should accept it and live by it. I'll even go farther because there is going to be a sect or a stream of Christianity when they hear performance, they hear legalism. They hear like I'm performing for God's love. But if you listen to the context of what we're saying, and if you look at the context in the word, the life of Jesus, and I'm also going to bring in the Apostle Paul because I'm really big. And on this show, I talk a lot about the athletic metaphors and analogies that Paul uses. And he's talking about perform as an athlete. I mean, I was on your show, I don't know, a, a month or two ago, and we talked about winning your race. So to win your race, you need to perform at a high level. You know, our, our guys, the guys listening, you and me, like we eat for performance, we train for performance. So this is something we should accept. And to shun it and to, to walk away from that word is going to make you a weaker man. So I'm going to say accept it. Um, so I, I'm all in on performance and being a high performance man. The other thing you spoke about is the outcome versus the process. And to me, I'm going to connect this back to where we started with it, a Greek mindset versus a Hebrew mindset, because a Hebrew mindset, it is all about the process. It's all about who you become. It's about the journey. It's about following God. So I think when, when Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness and they followed God and they saw the visible manifestation and representation and the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day, it wasn't just about get to the finish line in the promised land. It was about that. There was a clear distinction of this is a goal. There was a real clear goal and a mission, but it also was about who are they becoming in the process. And we know for them, you know, they learned a lot and there's a lot of failure in that journey that we can learn from. So there's a goal, but there's also a process in every man of God's life that he walks us through. So I think that that Greek mindset sets in again and we become black and white, winner or loser, just get to the finish line and by any means necessary. And that kind of goes to your crash dieting reference there, right? And you you kill your metabolism and you 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 get good pictures on one day and then 
your yo-yo diet back to where you were or, or worse than where you started with that stuff. Yeah. I want to throw something up in here, right? In terms of the performance conversation. If Jesus was not a peak performer, and for me, a definition of peak performance is not you comparing yourself to other people, right? You are your standard and he is our standard, right? But so he wasn't running around comparing himself to other people. But if he was not a peak performer, I don't think his message would have the power that it did. So if he's someone talking about setting the captives free, but he didn't see people get healed, he didn't see people's hearts get changed, he didn't see people's lives change, the performance actually takes your message further. So if he wasn't someone who could perform, a lot of what we are believing right now wouldn't carry any weight. You know, so performance is the deeds that are in a byproduct of your faith, right? Show me your faith. I'll show you my deeds. You know, that conversation of uh, faith and works. And if you really have faith, the byproduct is works. So if you really have faith, the byproduct is performance. And it's an easy byproduct. Like it's abiding in the vine and the fruit just shows up. So when people say no performance, it's almost like they're going against our divine design. And we were designed to have this. We were designed to perform, to do. The problem has been that we've tried to do without being. And so because now we understand who we are, it's easy to do from that place. And it's fun. And that's a full life, in, in my opinion. Yeah, that's amazing. I love this conversation. I love high performance. I love the fact that whenever we see the word walk in the Bible, you know, you talked about being and then doing um, that we're commanded and we're actually created and commanded for good works. And whenever we see the word walk, you know, walk this way, follow me as I follow Christ. And that when, whenever that word walk is there, that always references character and conduct. How do you live? What's it look like? If someone was observing your performance, what would they see? So I love it. Now let's, let's back up. And let's, you know, we're talking about the high performance man right now. So for ambitious Christian men that want to expand the kingdom of God in their life, it's, there's a great conversation to have, but they can't just jump right in if you don't have a couple foundational pieces. And, and you and I were talking about this is that we have to, in order to give and in order to live this life, you have to be able to receive it first because you can't express something that you don't have or you haven't learned to receive. So what's the starting point for you? If we just take it back one step of how do men start to receive and set the baseline for a high performance life? Yeah. So a lot of my conversation, I like to go back to original intent. I like to go back to Genesis 1, right? Not Genesis 3, but Genesis 1 before the fall, when God made everything there was purpose behind it because nothing happens outside of purpose. And so I like to go back there because that should be a measuring stick that we look at, not just other people's opinions and philosophies. So when we go back, we see that God made all the stuff. He made creation and then he made a garden and he put man in the garden. And so the first thing we see was that man was designed to be in this Eden, in the presence, in the presence of God. And I'm doing a lot of things with men now. And I know a lot of men who don't know how to be in the presence of God. They don't know how to be in the presence of love, pure love. They don't, don't know how to be in the presence of holiness. They don't know how to be in the presence of something that's bigger than their ego, you know. And, and so we were designed originally to be men that know how to navigate the presence. And so I would go right back to that. When I encountered God that first time, he was pulling me into his love, into his presence. And 
my ego, my soul was reading him all the reasons why I did not deserve to be there. And this is that performance culture because I was raised in that. Here is my report card. And I'm telling him, don't you know how drunk I got on my 21st birthday party? How, how can you just pull me into your deep love like that? Don't you know what I was thinking? You know what I've done. You know what happened just a few weeks ago. How can you just receive me like that? And there was this battle of Joseph. You can't earn this. No matter what you do, you can't earn it. You will never, ever deserve it. It's a gift. Gifts are only received. And sadly, in Christianity, a lot of times we will say this like, wow, salvation is a gift. But we still try and cheapen the gift with our little works. You know, uh, let me do this. I'll go on Sunday for, to, to earn that little bit of love. Or I'll, I'll go on Wednesday night. And we miss the whole point, which is actually a love encounter. So I always like to go back there. We were designed to receive love. And because we receive love, we can give love. That is the primary, primary goal or part of being a human. The primary, I don't know the right word to say, but the primary reason for our existence is to receive yeah. and give love. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, the issue that we have is that as men, we're naturally not receivers. Even if you look at our design, we're givers. That's what we do. That's what we contribute to the relationship. We are protectors, we're providers. And even as I look at the role of a mother and a father, the father provides, provides identity, provides resources, um, provides tools, frameworks for the children to understand who they are. The, the mother teaches a child how to receive and so we should be getting it in its proper order. We should be learning how to receive from our mothers, but we know the world's messed up and not everybody gets this kind of training. And I can even give you a practical example. And guys listening, you'll probably resonate with this, is that um, if you think about a gift, I, I love giving gifts. It's not hard for me to give a gift. I enjoy it. I, I love to watch someone open their gift, but to receive a gift sometimes is harder. Um, and if a gift is a hard thing for you and you're just like, Hey, dude, I don't have a problem receiving a gift. You can give me a present anytime you want. Let's think about it a different way. Let's talk about an act of service, something very personal. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to do those things for people and give those things to people as a male, because we're wired and we're built that way. It's actually second nature for us. We should be doing that. But when someone does it for us, I find within myself, sometimes I have some resistance. I've gotten over this, but I still notice it. I notice like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the provider. Like I'll do that. Or I need to come in and provide, protect or, or give something here. I'm much more comfortable. Like that's home base for me. I want to serve you. And if someone serves me, I've gotten over it now as I've gotten older and matured in my walk, but there is a little bit of a natural resistance because it's kind of unnatural for a man. So I want to hear your opinion on that. And maybe a couple ideas you have of what men can do to get into a receptive position and learn how to receive. And um, yeah, if you could talk to that, I think that would really serve the audience. Yeah. So some of this, maybe I defer to you a little bit in the sense that I think men have been programmed to be only givers, but we weren't designed. We weren't built to be only givers. There is no one who's built to be only a giver, you know, because that would mean you are source. But you are never source. You are only resource. That's as far as you go. You can never be source. So man, when he was first made, had to receive the breath of God to then have life, to then give, you know. 
even when I look at a baby, when a baby's born, the first three years, which are the most critical years of a baby's life, that baby can only receive. That baby can't do anything else. And so this is God's model of you will first create it to receive. You will never give what you've not received. And so learning how to receive is the first order of the day. But society and our upbringings and different cultures have trained us out of this secret. And I call it a secret because when you learn how to receive, now you will never lack because he never lacks. And he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He never lacks anything. And so when I encountered God, the first thing that began was, Joseph, will you learn to receive? And it actually took me about two or three weeks. And it was a real battle in my heart and my soul to let him love me for no reason or what I thought was no reason. But God loves us like that because that is his nature. It's his very being. He is love. He doesn't do love. He doesn't have to be loving. He doesn't have to try and show loving ways to people. No, no. He is love. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny love. So I had to learn and it was really hard because the thing that came against me receiving was my desire to earn, my desire to deserve. And that was built in me because it stroked something in my ego. It stroked something in me to make me feel good about life. I was feeling good about life based on what I saw of me and thought of me instead of who he made me to be, which was very different. So when I used to live by my ego thinking in terms of I've earned this, I've done that, look at how much I've done. I was only as good as my last performance. I was only as good as my last thing that I did. So I had to keep doing things to chase that feeling. When that was surrendered and I just received his love, all of that switched into right alignment. And now it just became a byproduct because I was able to receive. So how do you receive? It actually is not a one step thing. You know, it's actually this journey, just like when you get married and you learn to love your wife, but you also learn how to let her love you. This is only a byproduct of time, of time spent, of a development of intimacy. You know, and so I like to encourage people to begin just with a few minutes, a few minutes in the morning, three minutes, five minutes. Everyone's got three to five minutes of just sitting. And I train my clients to sit in a chair that we call the love chair, right? Pick a chair in your house that you're going to call the love chair that you can relax on. Go sit there. And for the next three minutes or two minutes or five minutes, just sit and, and pray this prayer of Lord, I am open to receiving your love in whatever way you want to give it to me and just to sit there. And it's challenging the first few times, but I've seen great success in people's lives of them just relaxing and letting him start to love them beyond their paradigm. And that would be one of the things I recommend. Yeah, I love it. And I would say, guys, let's do that. Like, let's act on this. I think this is an action step that we can leave with. And I think that we have to prepare ourselves, just like you said earlier, the first time we do something, we're not necessarily good at it. And we have this thing that all high performers know called the J-curve. And the J-curve is you always get worse at something before you get better. So you got to have the consistency and the diligence to stick through it um, because we, we have a lot of similarities, Joseph, in the way we receive from the Lord. And I agree with you. I think that this is something we need to develop. We need to be diligent and we need to be deliberate on saying, I'm going to set some time aside. I need to learn how to do this because to the extent that I can receive, that's going to be to the extent that I can pour out. 
And if I can't receive, then I'm not going to be able to give out because when we just rise and grind and we just perform all day and we think we can keep giving out of that place, man, that's dry. That's a tough road, right? Um, so we have to protect that space. So this has been phenomenal. This is such a great conversation about the high performance man. Um, any last thoughts as we wrap this up? Because we're going to have you on for a part two, and I want to talk more about the specific work you do. And we're going to get into that pathway of purpose and how you help people uncover and identify their purpose. But for this conversation, do you want to cap it off with any last thought, action item, or exhortation for the guys listening? Yeah. Let, let me say this. Your relationship with God can't be like an arranged marriage. You know, I was born in India. I've seen a lot of people get arranged marriages and that's changed now, thankfully. But back in the day, it's like parents just de decide you're going to marry this guy or you're going to marry this girl and that's it. And so it's told by someone else. And now these two people try and fulfill that. Your, your walk with God is not like that. It's actually a bit more like your love relationship with your wife. You know, when when you meet, so when I met Kirsten, who's my wife, I've been married 12 years. When we first met, there was something about her that just made me feel like, oh, she's she's good. And that was it. it. It wasn't, oh, I saw her and then it's like, oh, we should get married now. And, you know, it took its course. And I feel like many Christians don't allow that course to happen with God, where they actually see him for who he is and let him be who he is and allow that love to grow. So this two minute love seat. Right. You're just sitting there for two minutes and allowing God to show you who he really is. And then you, there's no pressure there. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to do this. You've got to do all the works we get taught, you know. And what I've found is when people allow God to be God and there's no pressure, they end up falling in love. Love becomes a byproduct. They end up wanting more. They don't read their Bible because they have to. They now read their Bible because they want to. Right? They don't sit in that chair anymore because they have to. They end up sitting there because they want to. Right? No one has to force me to spend time with my wife because I have seen something. I have tasted something, but I've also grown into that thing where now I'll do anything for her. And this is the relationship with God. If you let him be him, even for a moment, but you actually let him be him, not your religious version, not what your pastor taught you, let him be him. It will start to draw you into more and more and more and more. And that's the beautiful journey. Boom. I love it, man. What an awesome conversation. Joseph, this was so great that you visited us today. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. I got a lot out of it. And you gave us some really practical steps that we can move forward with. Guys, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In The Map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard. <laughs>